Insights and guidance about one of the most pressing aeromedical concerns facing our aviation community. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan, brought to you by Varion, formerly ATP. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for the very latest business aviation news and information. Mental wellness, including questions about proper treatment of mental health concerns and their potential impacts on a pilot's medical certification, continues to be a common, if still a bit uncomfortable, subject throughout the industry. For the next two weeks, Flight Plan will provide an update on where the business aviation community stands on mental wellness matters and what pilots might expect if they disclose a concern such as anxiety or depression. We'll begin today with Lee Rafalco, Scheduling and Finance Manager for Corteva AgriScience and Chair of the Fitness for Duty Working Group of the NBAA Safety Committee. Lee moderated a panel on mental wellness concerns during the recent NBAA National Safety Forum held throughout the 2023 NBAA Business Aviation Convention and Exhibition, or NBAA Base, in mid-October. We had a fantastic panel of subject matter experts from the FAA, aeromedicine support companies, and and other operators as well. What we wanted to try and do was give a baseline for what we're talking about when we're talking about mental health. And, you know, there's this uh, instinct to kind of think of the most extreme cases, but we really wanted to emphasize that mental health is something that's going to impact everybody at some point in their life. And it can be, you know, as simple as a transient issue you may be having in your personal life, all the way up to, you know, more significant anxiety and depression. One of the things that I thought was really interesting that came out of it was one of the panelists brought up the statistic that one in five people are going to encounter a mental health issue that requires professional intervention. And what we don't see in the medical certificated pilot or, or flight technician community is the same statistic. You know, we don't see 20% of that community with medication or, or seeking uh, therapy for, for treatment. So we know that there is this population who's not reporting and trying to work through how to break down that stigma and reduce some of the fear and misconception around seeking those treatments. That was uh, a major point of the presentation. That one in five statistic you mentioned is very soberingly. No one knows when or if they may face a mental wellness concern. It's not necessarily something that we can ever prepare for, and we're not really sure of what our response is going to be until it actually happens. I'd now like to bring in Mark Larson, NBAA's Director of Safety and Flight Operations. And Mark, obviously this is a big issue for the entire business aviation community. Please tell me a bit about NBAA's approach in working with the FAA on mental wellness, particularly with regards to how treatment and medication might have an impact on a pilot's career. This has really been an ongoing conversation with the FAA and, and with the industry. We're very much trying to uh, tear down you know, any stigmas that are associated with various mental health conditions, understanding that we need people to get treatment early, and that's much easier ultimately in the long run to address really the suffering that takes place as a result of the conditions. And also for that matter, you know, to return folks to as healthy a condition as can be. 
And then with that, ultimately, you think about the ultimate benefit to things like flight safety, to employee performance, uh, all those aspects that come with it as well, too. So we see this as really a strong opportunity to engage with the FAA and with the industry to move the culture of our industry forward, ensuring that folks uh, feel like they can raise their hand and say, hey, I need help, and then get that, whatever that needs to be. And then from an FAA standpoint, how do we make sure that we are uh, appropriately accepting you know, those folks. We're all human. Pilots are, are not superhuman or anything in the sense of having different rates of depression or anxiety. Uh, they're, they're very much akin to the broader adult population. And so we need FA policies that really work in concert with that, allowing folks to go get the health care that they need um, and the mental health care that they need. And then ultimately to see that there's effective uh, medical certification policies and, and requirements around that that are you know, very complimentary and, and not unduly burdening folks' livelihoods, welfare, and, and ultimately potentially being those things that stand in the way of, of getting the care that they need in the first place, which is a common call we're getting from members that are concerned about it. So as we've had a lot of calls and questions over the years uh, come in, it's been an area that NBA has really picked up to more closely work with the FAA's office in improving the approaches we're taking. More of our conversation in a moment after this word from our sponsor. Take your aviation operations to new heights. Introducing Varion, formerly known as ATP, your ultimate partner in achieving maximum aircraft uptime. At Varion, we understand the challenges faced by everyone in aviation. Our industry-leading technology solutions revolutionize aircraft management, so there's no more waiting, no more wondering, and no more wasted effort. Get real-time visibility of your maintenance, inventory, operations, and regulatory data right at your fingertips with an easy-to-use system. Backed by a team of experts with deep aviation knowledge offering 24-7, 365 support. After 50 years in the business, we have built a growing reputation for getting our customers more aircraft uptime. That's why thousands of aircraft operators worldwide have already discovered the power of Varion. Say goodbye to downtime and hello to increased efficiency and profitability. Visit Varion.com to learn more. Varion, let's get you more uptime. We're back now with Mark Larson and Lee Rafalco and our discussion about mental wellness concerns in business aviation. I'd also like to welcome now to the conversation two subject matter experts from the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Greg Vinichkatorn is an aerospace medicine physician and Mayo section chief for transportation medicine. Dr. Clayton Cole is a prior chair of Mayo's Division of Public Health, Infectious Disease, and Occupational Medicine, and he's also a 20-year aviation medical examiner, or AME. Clay, the FAA recently announced some changes to its approach to anxiety and depression, which were welcomed by NBAA and others in the industry. How will those changes help the pilot community and perhaps ease some of the stigma that still exists over such issues? We know that mental health-related issues are particularly challenging, and that's especially true from an aeromedical certification perspective. And what we've already heard is that There can be waxing and waning of symptoms. An individual may be affected at different times in their life by a mental health condition based on a variety of different environmental factors. Unlike, say, a condition that's maybe a cancer and you deal with it and it goes away, mental health can come and go based on external factors of which sometimes we have very little control. 
I think what we've heard from the FAA that's very reassuring, including all the way from the top of the flagpole from Dr. Susan Northrup, the federal air surgeon, and her deputy, Brett Wyrick, is that they have tried to place mental health out front and center and place resources and recognition around the fact that it's often been something that we as pilots and as aeromedical examiners have put our proverbial heads in the sand about it and had this macho moment where, no, I can't be affected by it or I'll never be able to fly again. I think it's been much the antithesis of that in the last several years in which there's been an articulated emphasis on you need to take care of yourself and get well first. And the rest of it, we're going to support in terms of making that process of certification as streamlined and reasonable as possible. And so to that end, we've seen a number of improvements from the FAA that favor the pilot. For example, expanding some of the medications that are allowed for treatment of, say, depression, streamlining the process of, for example, limiting recurrent neuropsychiatric testing for individuals on certain antidepressant medications, and also internally hiring additional forensic psychiatrists and assigning them specifically to look at cases that involve depression to try to expedite or move those special issuance authorization cases forward in a more rapid fashion. Greg, I'd appreciate your thoughts about the FAA's changes as well. I think a word that uh, my colleagues have mentioned a whole lot that summarizes, I think, the way the FAA is is looking at all this right now is that word human. In the past, it was just very uh, much not a thing that you wanted to talk about, uh, mental health issues when it came to the FAA. What we have seen with the FAA with their language as well as the policy changes is that, indeed, they are starting to realize that pilots are human. So, for example, now at this time, if you have a brief episode of depression or anxiety in your history and it's associated with something that's very traumatic, like a job loss or something like that, even if you have treatment, if the symptoms don't last too long, you can actually go on through certification without having to go through the usual scrutiny that we've all been accustomed to over the last few years. So just making those kinds of changes, uh, acknowledging that people can go through these kinds of stresses in their lives and still recover and not have any ongoing problems, that's a huge change by the FAA. And hopefully it's gonna open the door for more pilots being able to get care for this. I will say that another side issue that has come up quite a bit in this area that I think is worth mentioning that uh, Lee also talked about is this non-disclosure issue. Uh, many pilots uh, in the past have not wanted to talk about this condition because of the way the FAA policies were. But now that things are changing, what we have been seeing here at Mayo is that more pilots are wanting to come forward and starting to disclose some of the things that they have gone through. And fortunately, uh, we are seeing more of that human element as well, too, on those sides of things from the FAA. Greg, in your experience, what should a pilot expect when disclosing a mental wellness concern? What happens next? Great question. So the the first thing that happens if someone has a non-disclosed medical issue, whether it be, you know, mental health issue or something else like a cardiovascular issue, the first thing is if, if this is a condition that would stop you from being able to get a medical certificate the same day you have an examination, you want to stand down. And, and that's pretty clear with uh, the regulation 61.53. 
Now, will you require a special issuance going forward? Well, that remains to be determined. So there's usually two aspects that need to be taken care of when it comes to a non-disclosure uh, state. First is the medical side of things. You know, we have to make sure that the medical condition at hand is stable and compatible with flight. And then the rest goes to the, the FAA for any kind of ramifications of non-disclosing. A lot of pilots ask, okay, well, what kind of things determine how the FAA looks at a pilot's case? And having spoken to the FAA quite a few times about this, it really comes down to about everything. You know, the nature of the condition that we're dealing with. So, for example, seizure disorders would be a whole lot different than having well, kidney stones or something like that, um, or even anxiety. Um, the number of conditions, how well uh, a pilot's been taking care of themselves, you know, are they stable with their condition or they just have let it run through? So all those things come into play. But fortunately, what we have seen is that after we go through the medical and then we go through the FAA process, what we have seen with the majority of time is that the FAA says, okay, don't do this again, and here's your medical back. They are looking at pilots as humans and knowing that sometimes pilots can get some really bad advice when it comes to disclosing things on their medical record. Um, there's also acknowledgement that maybe the form that we use to obtain history from pilots is also not the most efficient in this area as well, too. So with that, they're giving pilots the benefit of the doubt that we have seen. And so I think if pilots are out there and they're wanting to disclose some of these issues, now is a good time. Lee, I believe you also addressed what pilots can expect when disclosing a mental wellness concern during your session at NBAA base, including possible timelines for going through the special issuance process. We did discuss that and talked about every person's situation is going to be unique and it's very difficult to give an expectation of what a timeline is going to look like depending on what the issue is that they're dealing with. One of the repeating items that came around was this notion of making sure to try and capture a situation early. And of course, it's so hard to do because it's not something that you can just take an x-ray for and know with certainty that you have a, a mental health issue that you know requires professional intervention. The repeating theme being that if it's untreated, you know, it doesn't get better with time and the requirements to go through to get proper treatment become more involved as the situation is allowed to go on. So so the whole matter of taking away that fear so that you go and, and get that treatment early was another item that we really wanted to drive home. Mark, as Lee noted, we can't really assign a timeline to special issuance, but how might pilots help facilitate their individual requests? So one of the Piece of advice we hear commonly from the FAA that helps, and, and I think this applies to a lot of things we would, would think of in aviation when we have those interactions with the FAA or with their designees is a first, you know, kind of build your team around you, know that you've got all the, the piece of information that you're going to need. And the FAA's Aviation Medical Examiner Guide or AME Guide that you can find online is going to be one of those things where you can go in and look in advance and get some sense of the kinds of things that the FAA is likely to want. We heard from Dr. Giovanetti on the panel that as they look at this, they're going to look at things, for example, with mental health conditions, similar to how we would look at safety management system risks. And so they want to understand the level of severity and the likelihood that a condition is to reoccur. And so in understanding those things and hopefully being in a, in a good spot for treatment of whatever the condition is and being able to have that conversation with your AME on the front end can help minimize the chance that they have to defer it, but where it is 
ensuring that everything is able to be conveyed to the FAA. If they have to defer the package, that's going to be your quickest chance to get an approval in the long run. Clay, Mark mentioned the importance of getting your team together. Obviously, a pilot's AME is going to be an important part of that team. But I understand we're also seeing a decline in the number of AMEs nationally. How is that affecting this situation in your experience? And how can pilots try to work around that as best they can? Yeah, that's an excellent question. We heard recently at the Civil Aviation Medical Association meeting that was held a couple of weeks ago where the FAA leadership was presenting the latest numbers that we're down right now to a little over 2,200 aviation medical examiners across the country, and that includes international examiners as well, those that aren't based in the country. From my perspective, it's a critical manpower shortage because at the same time they showed those data, they also showed that the number of requested medical certification exams, the number of applications being filled out is escalating and they expect by 2026 to almost double what it is right now because they're seeing that there's opportunities within the industry and going to get their flight training. And so there's a lot of applications in the mix right now that are having to be dealt with with less overall examiners. And to give you an idea, Right now, we have a little under 400,000 exams a year that the FAA is processing, and uh, they expect that to be well over 500,000 within the next 18 to 24 months. That's a tremendous number of exams, and the number of AMEs has declined from a high of a little over 9,600 down to 2,200. And there's several reasons for this. First of all, traditionally back in the 60s through the 80s, there was a lot of small family practices that would involve, I'll I'll use the term, a mom and pop operation, a small private practice where perhaps the provider was a pilot themselves and would like to take on pilots as much as a public service as anything else. Medicine has changed. Medicine has changed a lot in the last 20 years. And I think many people understand and know that there are very large health systems that continue to swallow these small primary care practices that delivered a lot of that aeromedical certification care in the past. Administrators in general at a lot of these look at the numbers and say, you know what, we're not making a lot of revenue from these flight physicals. They tell the AMEs, If you want to come in on a Saturday and do that, that's fine, but not on our time. And so between that and the fact that those that are doing it continue to age and are literally dying off, every week we hear of various AMEs in their 70s, 80s, or even 90s that are continuing to do flight physicals for a variety of reasons, you know, their love of aviation and wanting to visit and interact with pilots. And and those folks are dying off. And we're not training new AMEs at the rate that we're getting more applications. And what's happening for pilots currently is that there are certain regions in the country where there are no AMEs within even a couple hundred mile radius. Uh, They're having to drive farther to get those exams or to go to academic centers like ours at Mayo Clinic to come where they aren't going to get a moosehead stare on the wall if they have a complex situation to handle. And so there's been 
incentives or at least encouragement from the FAA to look at innovations out there that may be able to change some of the paradigms that we use in the future in how to do exams. So in other words, the traditional go and see a doctor in the office in your home community may change. There may be more opportunities in the future to do virtual exams, for example. And so all of that's on the table as we work with the FAA to look at innovative strategies in the future and how to care for the burgeoning number of medical applications. That revelation shows there really isn't a segment of our industry that hasn't been touched by workforce issues. Like with pilots, maintenance professionals, and others, it's not only a matter of losing personnel, but also about losing expertise. And that's especially concerning to think about on the medical side. Right. You always hear the conversation in flight departments that about, you know, identifying pilots and, you know, boy, we're short on air traffic controllers. But a lot of times on the medical side, there's not a discussion of manpower shortages within the AME community. And I think we realize it's there and the FAA realizes it's there. And now it's, you know, how do we leverage technologies? How do we really look carefully? How do we scrutinize what we do and say, is this really just tradition? Or is this truly adjusting safety in our airspaces? Next week, we'll discuss more about what steps pilots should take in this environment when disclosing mental wellness matters, including recommended attitudes and approaches to the process of seeking treatment. Until then, I encourage you to check out NBAA's Medical Issues Resource at nbaa.org forward slash medical, which includes several additional resources addressing mental wellness. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Sending out a 3500. Alright, we got him inside. We're still in fact 170.